Let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. I want you to to show you the relationship uh, of the message of Jesus to the miracles that he performed. John, chapter 3, you know the story well. Nicodemus has come to Jesus by night. Chapter 3, verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that you do except God be with him. Powerful statement. That the presence of the miraculous made people aware of the nearness of God. Chapter 5, verse 36. Jesus says, I have a greater witness than John. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the same works I do, these works bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Powerful scripture. The works that I am performing... The, the, the release of that energetic, miraculous power bears witness that I'm not here on my own authority. Chapter 10, verse number 25. Chapter 10, 25. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you didn't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. The works bear witness. Same chapter, verses 37-38. If I do not the works of my Father, don't believe me. But if I do, and then you don't believe me, why don't you believe the works, that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Again, Jesus is pointing to the miraculous to, to act as testimony about himself. Testimony about himself. Chapter 14 And verse 11, this is a theme all the way through John's Gospel. 14 verse 11, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. And if you can't believe that, then believe me because of the presence of the works that I do. Believe me for the very works' sake. And so all the way through John's Gospel, the works that Jesus performed, including the miraculous signs, uh, were intended to give testimony and credibility to who he was and who had sent him. The Father had sent him. I think a powerful story is in John chapter 9, verses 30 to 38, uh, the story of the man who was born blind. And remember, the disciples couldn't figure this out. Well, whose fault is it that this man was born blind? Him or his parents or whatever? Jesus would say, well, neither, but for the glory of God here. Now, after the man who was born blind, was miraculously healed. Well, the Pharisees, the enemies of Jesus, took exception to this. And uh, they wanted to get, get Jesus to stop him from doing this. And they get hold of this man that was healed. And instead of rejoicing that a man who was born blind can actually see, they get furious. Now, isn't that amazing? And I thought to myself, I don't think I'll ever meet anybody who would be like that. 
Was I wrong? I was in the country of Moldova where they were more concerned about breaking their tradition than the good that was happening. Said, oh, you can't. It's a Sabbath day. You're not supposed to do that. And I really couldn't believe I was in a real personal atmosphere where people took objection to what the Spirit of God was doing because it happened on a Sabbath day. And really, it was far more concerned about protecting our traditions than seeing somebody set free. I found that hard to fathom. I did. But anyway, they, they talked to this man and Oh, what where I pick it up at verse 30 of chapter 9. The man's answered and said a thing to them. This is a marvelous thing, and you don't know where he is? <laughs> and yet he opened my eyes? Now, this guy's preaching to the Pharisees. Listen to this. Now we know that God doesn't listen to sinners. But if any man is a worshiper of God and does his will, God hears that one. Since the beginning of the world, it was never heard that a man opened the eyes of one that was born blind. And if this man were not of God, he couldn't do anything. I mean, that's the testimony of the world. That's the testimony. And they said, they answered, you were altogether born in sins, which is a polite way of swearing at them. You can just imagine your English going somewhere else. You're altogether born in sins, and you're going to teach us? And they threw them out. Can you imagine throwing somebody out because they had a miracle happen in their body? Now, when Jesus heard they cast them out, well, he went and found them, he said, do you believe on the Son of God? And the man answered and said, Well, who is he that I might believe on him? He said, Well, you have both seen him, and it's he that talks with you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Marvelous story. That miracle caused him to believe on Jesus. And the testimony of this unbeliever is that there's got to be something to this. Only a guy who's got God on his side could be doing this kind of things. Miracles testify. Miracles testify. You know the story in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. They let the guy down through the roof. Remember that? They can't come in the door. It's too crowded. They let the guy come down through the roof. And before Jesus does anything, he says, Your sins be forgiven you. And, of course, Jesus knew what he was doing. He knew what he was implying. This was a setup. He knew what the Pharisees would think. Blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God anyway? Jesus knew what they were thinking in their heart. Well, just to show you that I have the power to forgive sins, he turns around and says to the man that was lame, take him to bed and walk. And the guy gets up and walking. And that was a proof that Jesus was God. It was proof that he was divine, proof that he was God, and it was proof that he had the ability to forgive sins. Now, I'm not God, and you're not God, but the truth still holds. If it can be demonstrated that God can heal sin-sick bodies, that he can heal sin-sick souls. Amen. He can heal and transform people's hearts. There are statements like this that are just scattered through your Gospels. Like, like Matthew 12, verse number 15. I mean, just a comment that is made says this. Matthew 12, verse 
15. Um, it says, But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from this. It says, And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Now, this was common for Jesus. You know, certain stories are highlighted, but Jesus had this reputation. Everywhere he went, there was the presence of the miraculous. In chapter 19 of Matthew, the same kind of comment is just thrown in there. Matthew 19, verse 2. It says, And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. I like the story. I think it's in the end of Matthew 15, I think it is. Uh, No, it's not. Let's see where it is. Jesus is on a mountain. And the multitudes hear that he's on the mountain. And so they went mountain climbing. They took the deaf, the blind, they took the, the lame, and they also took the maimed. How do you get a lame or a maimed person up a mountainside? And they must have carried them up to Jesus. Now Jesus didn't come down. They had to climb that mountain to get to him. But when they got there, they knew that he had a reputation, that he doesn't turn away people. And they pressed to get to Jesus. And it says Jesus healed them all. And they glorified the God of Israel said, we've never seen it in this fashion. Jesus had this reputation. And then when they knew that they, Jesus was close by, and even it was hard to get to him, they were going to overcome whatever obstacle it was to get to him because he had this reputation of the miraculous and compassion. I like Matthew 11, verses 20 to 24. I'm going to read these. It's when Jesus um, begins to upbraid some cities. Matthew 11:20. it says, Then he began to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they didn't repent. Woe unto you, Chorazin, and woe unto you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at that day the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, which are exalted in heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I say unto you that it should be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. These verses just assume that Jesus did multiplied miracles. And that the presence of multiplied miracles was to bring the reality of God to the people. Unfortunately for these religious cities... They chose their religion than the message of the kingdom that Jesus brought. But notice that the the presence of the miraculous should lead people to an acknowledgement of the reality of God and should bring people to repentance. In other words, the miracle ministry grabs the attention of the public. A miracle ministry makes the gospel attractive to the humble But unfortunately, to the proud, a miracle ministry is a fearful thing. Miracles either cause you to believe 
or they actually strengthen people in their resistance. Which is a hard thing for me to grasp that. It hardens people in their resistance. And I'm not sure I understand the psyche behind that. But nevertheless, it's true. I want to refer you to some verses quickly here that show the fantastic growth, the dynamic growth of the early church is because miracles take place. Mark chapter 5, verses 19 to 20, what we call the Gadarene demoniac. Everybody knew that man. Everybody was afraid of that man. Running around the tombs naked, cutting himself with stones, crying day and night. A legion of demons. Nobody could control him. Nobody could chain him with fetters or with iron. Jesus shows up on the scene. The demons run and bow before him and acknowledge his lordship. They are cast out. It scared the population. They found him clothed, seeing his right mind at the feet of Jesus. When Jesus leaves, the man wants to join Jesus. But Jesus says, no. But I do have an assignment for you. Go back to your hometown, Decapolis, and tell what compassion the Lord has on you. And because of that testimony, Jesus became famous in the ten cities called Decapolis. It made Jesus famous. In Mark 10, 52, a blind man named Bartimaeus, you know, which by translation is the son of garbage, the son of rubbish. How did I have a name like that? And God had transformed him with a miracle of healing. And the, what happened is he followed Jesus. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, when Peter at this point is not exactly sure what he thinks about Jesus. And they've been out fishing all night, caught nothing. I can just see Peter agitated and grumbling out all night and caught absolutely nothing. And after a a useless night of work, comes in and there's this preacher on the shore. Can I use your boat? All right. He sits in the boat and preaches to the people. He says, let's go fishing. I can just see Peter. Fishing. Look, I'm the fisherman, you're the preacher. Let's not get this confused. I'm just using my imagination here. You know, I said, come on, we've been all night and caught nothing. I said, come on, let's go fishing. All right. So they go out, cast the net over, and you know the story. A great catch of fish. Do you read in Luke chapter 5 how that affected Peter? How that affected Peter? I said, oh. <laughs> it's almost like Isaiah, I'm a man of unclean lips, you know. He said, Look, <laughs> he was, depart from me, he says. I'm not worthy, I'm not a sinner. He says, Tell you what, I'm going to choose you. I'm going to clean you up and change your life. And you're going to not catch fish anymore, you're going to catch men. And when they got to shore, listen to this. 
they left their nets to follow Jesus. Why? Because of a miracle. Because of a miracle. In Luke 18, verse 43, after a blind man is healed, the crowd ends up in a praise session, glorifying God and giving Him praise. And Matthew 20, verses 30 to 34, two blind men are healed and their result of that miracle is they follow Jesus. John chapter 4 and verse number 53, there's a, a, a nobleman from Capernaum, I believe it is, and his son is sick. And it says, when his son was healed, and it was healed from a distance, Jesus said, your son's going to be well. Jesus didn't even go in person. And when he went home and saw that the son began to get better, he said, when did this start to happen? And it was the exact same time Jesus said, your son's getting better, be healed. John 8, 4.53, John 4.53 says this, He and his whole house believed. Why? Because of the miracle. Because of the miracle. We already told you the story in John 9, 30-39, the man who was born blind. But listen to this, let's, and let's read this. This is John 11, the raising of Lazarus. This is powerful. The raising of Lazarus in John chapter 11, verse number 15. Before he goes to Bethany to visit the home of Mary and Martha and the tomb of Lazarus, he knows that Lazarus is already dead, and he says to his disciples in verse number 15, And I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there. Now, I'm sure Mary and Martha are glad they never heard Jesus say that. Because they're going to complain bitterly to Jesus out of the anguish of the heart. Lord, if you had just been here, our brother hadn't died. And Jesus says before he even goes to the disciples, I'm glad I wasn't there. For what reason? Let's finish the verse. To the intent. To the intent. To the intent that you might believe. Now let's go. That's a powerful verse. Now go to verse number 42 of the same chapter. Oh, let's go 41, 42. 41. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you hear me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that you may, that they may believe that you have sent me. So I'm praying out loud for their sakes. I know you always hear me, but they need to hear me. That they may believe that you have sent me. Verse 45. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on Him. When they saw the miracle, they believed on Him. Verse 48. The Pharisees are, are, are troubled about this. And they said, if we let this Him alone, all men will believe on Him. Go to chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. Same story. It says... 
But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus to death. How's that for religion? How's that for religion? God raises from the dead and religion wants to kill him. Just to show that we don't believe in this resurrection stuff. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus to death because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Look at verses 17 to 19. The people therefore that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead bear record. For this cause the people also met him, for that he heard that he had done this miracle. And the Pharisees said among themselves, Can't you see that we're getting nowhere? Behold, the whole world's going after him. The power of a miracle. The power of a miracle. Now Jesus, or John would say, at the end of his gospel in chapter 20, verses 30 to 31, There's many other signs besides these in the Gospel of John that Jesus did. Many other signs. For what purpose were those signs? That they would believe that Jesus is the Christ. Now, it doesn't just go in the Gospels. Go to the book of Acts and some testimony. In Acts chapter 9, for instance, in verses 32 to 35, there's uh, the story of Peter. Acts 9.32 And it came to pass, as Peter passed throughout all quarters, he came down also to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas, which had been bedridden for eight years, sick of the palsy. And Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ makes you whole. Arise and make your bed. And for the first time in eight years, on his own, he gets out of that bed. What's the result? Verse 35. And all that dwelt in Lydda and Saren saw him. Now listen to this. And what did they do because of this miracle? What did they do? They turned to the Lord. Let's keep reading in verse 36. Now there was a Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpreters is called Dorcas. And this woman was known for good works and alms that she did. And it came to pass in those days that she got sick and she died, and they had washed her body, laid her in an upper chamber. Now, Lydda was close to Joppa, and the disciples heard that Peter was there, and they sent two men, desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. And Peter rose and went with them, and when he was come, they brought him to the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by weeping and showing all the coats and the garments the Dorcas has made while she was still alive with them. But Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed. And saying unto the body, said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he called the saints and the widows, presented her alive. What's the result? And it was known throughout all Joppa. And many people believed in the Lord. The power of a miracle. Acts chapter 19, a phenomenal chapter. 
the story of the church at Ephesus. I want you to note, as Acts 19 opens, Paul the Apostle gets there and he can't find any Christian witness. What he does find is 12 men who only knew the teaching of John the Baptist. That's all he knew. He meets with them. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Well, we never heard of any Holy Ghost. What's that? And he began to expound them and to teach them about the name of Jesus. And he laid hands on them. The Holy Ghost came on them. They spoke with tongues and they prophesied. And this chapter begins with the church at Ephesus with 12 men who only knew the baptism of John the Baptist. By the time the chapter ends, the whole city has been gathered in a massive arena. And there is a riot in the city of the entire city for the space of two hours. Great is Diana of the Ephesians because there was so much demonstration of so much power that the goldsmiths and the idol makers get very nervous. And we went from 12 people who only knew the baptism of John the Baptist to the end of the chapter, a citywide riot. How did we get from 12 people to that in the same chapter? We're not talking about gradualism. We're talking about dynamic, explosive manifestation of the power of God. What kind of miracles? Well, in Acts 19, verses 8 to 20, Paul Speaking in the synagogue, they put him out. They don't like that, so he says, well, he rents a a building in the school of one called Tyrannus, and it says he's every day, every day. I want to hear this term, every day. It wasn't a 40-minute sermon a week. It was hunger, hunger, hungry for the things of God, hungry for the Word of God. Every day he was preaching and teaching. Now, Ephesus was a, 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 a city, a, a, what's the word, a hub, a business and economy, and everything flowed through that city, a port city, and all business traveled through. And, and for the space of two years, Paul was there daily. But he was also making tents. And it says in verse 11, special miracles. Special miracles by the hand of Paul so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons and and demons were cast out in such a manner. This mind-blowing type of stuff. Well, here's a guy with authority over evil spirits. We're going to try to imitate that. And you know the seven sons of Sceva, they didn't do so well. And, And they said, we adjure you in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. And they weren't ready for this comeback. Well, we know about Jesus, we know about Paul, but who are you? <laughs> and they jumped on him, and, and the seven sons of Sceva ran around naked from them. And, and it says in verse 17, This was known to all the Jews and the Greeks dwelling at Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. 
So much so, in verses 18 and 19, those that were involved in occult and all this kind of stuff were overwhelmed by that power of God that was manifest. And they brought all their occult type of books and they burned them all. They didn't sell them, they burned them. 50,000 pieces of silver worth. That's one little fortune. It's one big fortune. It says, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. This combination of constant preaching and constant miracles caused in the space of two years. Now get this. In the space of two years, that's what this says here in this chapter, in the space of two years, all of Asia came under the influence. Now when it says Asia, to the modern mind, that's the country of Turkey today. In the space of two years, without phone, without internet, without any of this type of stuff, without television, without radio, without all that, in the space of two years, that whole place, the gospel was known. Why? Because of miracles. Because of the presence of miracles. So, miracles have this ability to advertise far and wide and catch the attention of the public. Now, let's be careful to note that miracles don't necessarily mean people get converted. A lot of people are attracted to miracles who still remain resistant within their heart. In the end of John chapter 2, it says, because of the miracles that Jesus did at Jerusalem, many believed on him. But it also says, but Jesus didn't believe in them. Because he knows that you don't build a church on miracles. That can't be the foundation. Miracles are the fruit of for evangelism, but people have got to learn to repent and take up a cross and, and those kinds of things. But miracles gain the attention of the people. Jesus would say in Luke 16.31, it says, even though one would rise from the dead, it doesn't mean that they will necessarily listen. So it's important to realize that as we want to press into the supernatural ability of God, miracles will express the gospel. But let's not be deceived. Miracles by themselves are not the gospel. They express the power of the gospel, but by themselves are not the gospel. They testify to a resurrected Jesus, but they don't necessarily convert a heart, though they do make Jesus famous. They don't replace the preaching. They don't replace the teaching. They don't replace taking up a cross. They don't replace prayer. They don't replace discipleship. They don't replace any of those things. We don't gather around miracles. We gather around Jesus who performs miracles. I think that's an important uh, principle. I mean, the Pharisees saw all sorts of miracles and they still said, give us a sign. You know, just a resistant heart to what should have been obvious. Very quickly, uh, let me go to some comments about the Apostle Paul. Again, these are just passing comments in his epistles, but let me, his attitude towards the miraculous in ministry. Let's go to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, verses 18 and 19, where Paul says, I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. 
How is he going to bring the Gentiles into the faith? By word and by deed. What does he mean by deed? Verse 19, through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. That's the deed. This is what makes Gentiles obedient to the gospel. It brings their attention to the reality of this message. And then he goes, says, From Jerusalem and roundabout unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. What is he saying there? He says, So many churches, because of the mighty signs and wonders and the continuous preaching, but through the demonstration of the miraculous, so many churches have been planted that I don't need to stay here anymore. I can move on to elsewhere because there's such a vast witness already supplied in all of these places. How did that come about? The miraculous. I can move on to somewhere else now. It's been done. The job has been done. We've already talked about 1 Corinthians 1, verses 48, so we don't need to go there, where we said that the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit act as a confirmation to the Gospel. We've already talked about 1 Corinthians 2, 1-5, so we won't go there again. But Paul says, My speech and my preaching is not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit, so that your faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of of God, we said that even his preaching was a manifestation of a word of wisdom, a gift of the Spirit. We've already mentioned 2 Corinthians 12, 12, when Paul said he was in, went there to Corinth. He said, all the signs of the apostle were there with you, the signs and the wonders. The Corinthians were, were birthed in miracles. We didn't read this one, Galatians chapter 3, when he talks about the original preaching of the gospel in the region of Galatia. Listen to chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently sent forth crucified among you. This only what I learn of you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So apparently in their preaching of the gospel, people encountered the power of God, the Spirit of God. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? And he talks about their initial response to the Gospel was a mighty encounter with the Holy Ghost. Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it's yet in vain? He that therefore ministers to you the Spirit and works miracles among you. Normal way of preaching the Gospel. He that ministers to you the Spirit and works miracles among you. Does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He, he just says, look back at your own experience. How did you begin? In powerful, open demonstration of the power of God. Now, did you do it by faith or was it because you had kept the law? Which one? You know. But he just eludes their experience as the basis of his argument. We didn't look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians 1 verses 5 to 8 when he describes how he went into the city of Thessalonica. I believe that's Acts chapter 17 in your Bible. But as he talks about it in his epistle, listen to how he says, chapter 1 verse 5, For a gospel didn't come to you in word only. Listen, I don't come just preaching only, but I come in power. It's not just preaching, it comes in power. 
and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance. As you know what matter of men we were among you for your sake, you became followers of us, followers of the Lord, having received the word of the Lord in much affliction, but there was the presence of the joy of the Holy Ghost. And what happened to you Thessalonians who in the past were pagan idol worshippers? It says what happened to you was such a powerful testimony that news of what happened to you has gone through all of Macedonia, all of Achaia. As a matter of fact, it's beat me there. The testimony of what happened to you Thessalonians has acted as a precursor for me before I even go to these places. So when I get there, they're expectant. Because news of what happened to you has already gone all around the world. That sounds like pretty dramatic stuff, doesn't it? Isn't it? 1 Corinthians 14, 22-25 if, if someone comes into your midst, an unbeliever, and if you're all speaking in tongues and there's no interpretation, wouldn't you say you're mad? But if you prophesy, listen to this, the secrets of his heart are made manifest and he will fall down on his face in the midst of him, saying this, Surely, God is in the midst of you. The power of a prophetic word. The power of the speaking of God. The power of miracles. Miracles. In the New Testament, there is no dichotomy. We don't have to choose between proclamation or the demonstration of power. The gospel is word and deed. It's word and deed. Acts 1 verse 1, all that Jesus began to do and teach. Jesus preached, Jesus healed. As did everybody he sent out after his ascension. Spirit-filled evangelism, outreach, requires that you need to be gifted in speech and you need to be gifted in deed. And both are gifts. Preaching that convicts and brings people to spiritual birth, in my definition, is the word of wisdom in operation. The gift of the Spirit called the word of wisdom is preaching that convicts and brings people to spiritual birth. I already told you why I believe that out of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Ephesians 6, 19-20, Pray for me that utterance might be given to me. That means I'm not depending on natural eloquence. I need the Spirit of God to speak through me, is what he is saying. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 7, you know, it talks about a speech being powered by the Spirit. Colossians 1 verses 28 to 29, the gospel that I warn and I preach and I teach everywhere according to the power that works in me mightily. My preaching is a demonstration of the power of God that works through me. You know, so this preaching and teaching business is not necessarily easy work. It's not just intellectually putting something together. It's hearing God. It's meditating on what God is saying. It's allowing the Spirit of God to put His own message together within you. And then it's learning to flow. Let the Spirit of God flow through you so it's not natural eloquence. It's the Word of God. And as, the, as, as, as God's Spirit goes through the speaking, it produces a faith in people. I don't know if you ever had the experience. I remember one time listening to 
I was in the congregation listening to somebody who had definite preaching ability and a definite gift of faith. And I don't know how to describe it to you, but as the word came from him and came into me, I almost thought I began to levitate. I know I wasn't, but I had that sense of just something on the enemy just rising. And they couldn't, the faith was rising and faith was rising. And you couldn't put it down. It's just an operation of the Spirit of God. And the preaching's supposed to be like that. The teaching's supposed to be like that. And it's all a gift of the Spirit. Very quickly, bringing this to a conclusion here. Obviously, I've run out of time for the day. Um, Paul refused to preach any other way. He refused it. He said, I will not preach unless it's with miracles accompanying. I will not preach in my own skill that it has to be an expression of the word of wisdom. So I make that decision. I will not any other way. Why? Why? And I think the answer is that in the world out there, People have no knowledge of spiritual reality. They need to be woken up. 